I actually was, um, I was going to share that joke tonight. <laughs> I was going to show for once that I do have a sense of humor, the, that I can be lighthearted somewhat, the, that I'm not so severe and intense as you know, I might come across as, but I do love this family. I love Sean. I couldn't help but reflect all week long on our long friendship and all that God did by putting our hearts together the way he did. It was just so, so very precious. Um, I know he told that story and that, that was fun to do, but, um, but I do remember something that happened between Sean and I that, that I thought I would share. And that was the time, you know, how college kids can be, you know, always up for a debate. You know, everything's, you know, there's a reason to challenge every single thing. And so Sean and I, we happened upon a rather large gathering of uh, students and they were, they were sharp. I mean, they knew the, both sides of the debate. And, and uh, so we entered into that and I just was waiting to see what would happen and what would all be said and they were really going at it. So I didn't quite know my, whether I should insert myself in any way because the students were, were going all after it. So, but I finally, I finally decided to, to jump in there and then and the place was, went hushed. I started speaking and I said, yet, yet, until you've considered the hen way, you're not going to know where to end up. Sean jumped up and he said, what's a hen way? And I said, five to six pounds. The... <laughs> so... This is why I don't tell jokes. <laughs> this is why Jenny has told me so many times, she said, you know, when you don't try to be funny, you're, you're hysterical. But when you try to be funny, you just come across as stupid. And so, again, here, here it is. There are reasons why I am the way I, I am. Oh, long years of experience. Oh, boy. Yeah. I think I'll, I'll have more to say about this, uh, this guy and his lovely bride um, as we go on throughout this sermon because when I first started praying about our time together, the Lord did begin to pour you know, out his heart in my heart and I didn't even know you but I just imagined uh, all of you and now since we've been here, the, uh, as Great as my pictures were, they didn't come close to the, the, how you radiate the love of Christ um, and how appreciative we have been not only for the Scribners, but all of the prayers, the prayer support, the, the real love. Um, we know it's, it's through Christ for, you know, for us, toward us. And it has made such a diff it has made such a difference, and it's been so appreciated. And we just could never imagine. We will never forget the few days that we we spent here, and your brotherhood, and your sisterhood, your 
your warm and kind fellowship has just enriched us, has warmed, warmed us in such a special way. We, we, just, we don't have the words to say, but on behalf of Jenny and me, just thank you for being that kind of, of community, that kind of beautiful and good community that radiates the love of Christ in this world and in, in this place. And, and we've just been able to experience a bit of it, but uh, from the, the bottom of our hearts, thank you, thank you, thank you for, um, for everything you've allowed him to create in you. What you have become is, is so beautiful, is so precious. If, if we could bottle it and send it worldwide, of course we could, but it just has meant so much to us. But you know, the Lord just began speaking to my heart and, and just uh, in the direction we should go. And for tonight, I landed on the, uh, the Shunammite widow way back there in Second Kings in probably one of the most depressing times of the Old Testament, nothing happening in that period. Um, just uh, it was a bad time. We'll get into some of that. But in Second Kings chapter 4, I'd like to read a passage of scripture um, that points to um, where I want to go tonight, and that is uh, to make room for holiness and, and how this little lady managed to, uh, to do that in some pretty barren terrain, in some pretty dry areas. Second Kings chapter 4 I'll begin reading there at verse 8, the great prophet Elisha. One day Elisha went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there, and she invited him to eat some food. From then on, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there to eat. She said to her husband, I am sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's make a little room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. One day, Elisha returned to Shunem, and he went up to his room to rest. He said to his servant Gehazi, tell the woman I want to speak to her. When she arrived, Elisha said to Gehazi, tell her that we appreciate the kind concern she has shown us. Now ask her what we can do for her. Does she want me to put in a good word for her to the king or to the commander of the army? No, she replied. My family takes good care of me. Later, Elisha said, ask Gehazi, what do you think we can do for her? He suggested she doesn't have a son and her husband is an old man. Call her back again, Elisha told him. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her, as she stood in the doorway, next year, at about this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word to our hearts tonight. Our scripture lesson is taken from Second Kings chapter 4. Now, background. It's the 9th century B.C., the period of the divided monarchy. So Saul, David, and Solomon 
have passed on. And the united kingdom of Israel is divided into Judah on the south and Israel to the north. This period precedes the Babylonian captivity. Kings and chronicles identify 19 northern kings, all of whom, quote, did what was evil in the sight of God. And 12 southern kings, seven of whom did what was evil in the sight of God. And five of whom did what was right in the sight of God, but had less than perfect administration. It is this period that admits of day-to-day life. Just read through 1st, 2nd Kings. Just taking life as it comes. There is a feel of monotonous existence or subsistence to it. It is a period of no expectation. One Kings lays out the theological rationale for exile into Babylon. John Bright, in his classic History of Israel, describes it as a rather depressing period and in many respects, the least interesting period in Israel's history. The heroic age of the nation's beginning had ended. The tragic age of its death struggle had not yet begun. Judah and Israel have become second-rate states, and for the first time in Israel's history, the prophets faced reprisals for speaking the word of Yahweh. The nation of Israel is dying, and their bones will fill a valley. Ezekiel 37. But in this drab, barren, arid, dry, boring, mundane age, we encounter a figure in the Old Testament from the town of Shunem who comes to experience life with an openness to the unexpected. We learn this from a knowledge of the backstory to the passage we read. That story begins with the woman desiring to build a room for Elisha. Why? Because she recognizes him to be holy. Elisha asks what she might want in return from him, but she tells him she is safe among her own people. Elisha's servant then tells him that she does not have a son. So Elisha tells her that she will have a son within the year. She is possessed with a readiness to act within and lean into these kindnesses that are being presented to her. Her story unfolds to us through a series, though, of unkind Even cruel events, I didn't read it, but farther in her story comes the death of her child. The displacement from her homeland and livelihood during a seven-year famine. Her story is remarkable. 
And she leaves a powerful legacy and the work of God goes on in her life and restores her son's life to her, to him and to her. And in a twi- quite a twist of, uh, of God's good providential grace, um, she's before the king. And everything that was lost to her during the seven years of famine, everything, including the interest on the taxes of the land, she was returned to her. Everything was restored to this woman. So she is remarkable. And she reveals a couple of important things to us. And that is um, our need to make room for the holy. And how did she do it? Two ways tonight. She constructed holy spaces. She had to build it. She had to get the table. She had to place the lamp. She had to make a bed. And there in their little world, their little home where nothing else was going on much, just day-to-day existence, just subsisting, eking it out in barren Israel is what they were doing. And in that context, um, she recognizes the holiness in this man of God and she makes room. She creates a space. She creates a place. And she values it. I entered a community that Sean has already mentioned tonight many years ago. and Didn't really quite know what to expect. My own story, I shared Sunday morning in the Sunday school hour. It was a, it was a home life that was... Uh, was pretty dark place to be. And a father through his own bruises and his own deep, deep wound somewhere in his life uh, had never figured out how to give himself in love and, and how, to, how to raise sons and raise men and, and be a hero to a little girl. He, he, he hadn't managed to figure that out and and it somehow prescribed to himself in order to cope a, a 12 pack of beer every day and always on the front side of that was a very guilt-ridden ashamed figure unable to cope in this world and round about noon um he would start in. And, and, and I have no sense of self-pity. It is what it is, but it, it doesn't make me feel very good about things when, when you can tell by the patterns of your father's speech or the countenance on his face the exact number of beers that he had had that day. And that was our home life. And uh, a mother who, uh, at the plant, um, found Christ. She found Christ, and she had such a beautiful testimony. And we were out playing football with everyone up uh, our road in our front yard when she came home. And there she came, and she, she called for me. 
And I was about 11 years old, and I went running up there. And she said, um, I wanted you to know something. She said, I got saved today, and I thought it would mean something to you. It meant the world to me. And I remember Dad in, in that Jekyll and Hyde spirit um, was able to say that he was so happy for Mom and that he had a new wife. And, uh, and those, those were beautiful things. But then on the other side of it was this jealousy and, and, and things ramped up so much in our home. It was just be hard to, to describe. And, and, and I don't want to, but I'm just telling you that out of that, out of that home life, shortly thereafter, very young age, um, I found Christ. And, or he found me. And he drew, drew me to himself. And, and a part of that, um, you know, some of those patterns, although I was free in him, um, those patterns, those family of origin issues, um, you know, I just carried them on. I just had, uh, I didn't know how to get rid of them. I didn't know how to unbecome uh, what I had become. <laughs> uh, you know what that all means. And, and so in that context, I went on to, um, uh, graduated from high school. I went on to a Bible college. I uh, devoted myself as much as I could to preaching and, and to the study of God's word and to trying to love him back for everything that he had done for me, um, you know, in that, in that process. And, and there, were, there were wonderful men of faith, um, people who stepped up, they stepped in, they made their presence known uh, in my life. They were, they were there uh, for me. They, they gave a picture of what uh, God's man was supposed to be, what he was supposed to look like, how he treated his wife, how he functioned in life. And, and uh, I won't mention his name uh, tonight, but a very important figure to both me and Sean uh, became that person early on. And then I found myself uh, living in Jackson, Mississippi and was down there. And, and I had a chance to join a discipleship group uh, to form a, a community that had been built, a space that had been created. Uh, tables, a lamp had been placed all in, the, uh, in this hearth and in this home. And I was invited into the space that I, I, I never knew existed. I didn't know what it looked like, and I moved into that space. Um, and it happened to be uh, Dr. Bill Urey's discipleship group. And for those of you who know Dr. Bill Urey, I was in that group all four years of my seminary training, and it was life-transforming. I can say that without question. It was totally life-transforming. And what God did in that experience was to expose my soul to this brilliant light of the holy love of God. And the, the disinfectant of that light in my soul and upon my spirit and the warmth and the illumination of that light that brilliant, brilliant light, um, it just filled me. And, and through it, I saw the world. 
I saw a vision of what was really real, what was enduringly real, what was forever real. And it just captured my heart as we just move from, you know, glory to glory. And that's what God did for me. And I just wondered, how am I going to respond? Well, how do you respond to the the triune God of holy love that gives himself fully without reservation? How do you respond? That's a very good question. Well, I just decided I've got to respond with it all. I can't reserve not even a part. I've got to be out there. And, and so um, the next several years was my attempt to do just that, um, to become a missionary, uh, to go to Hungary for all of those wonderful years, and, and Ukraine, uh, that great nation, and to serve there and to do just whatever God would have me do. And, um, but somewhere in the middle of those terms of service in Europe, um, I found myself needing some practical teaching experience. And I always say and laugh uh, that the, the president of the college, in a moment of just sheer panic and desperation, decided to hire me. And so there we went. There I found myself uh, the same summer this, uh, that major things were happening even in Sean's life that brought him back into very near to the college. And, and I was back after all of these years very near to the college. And after some time, very easy to observe everyone on campus, um, you know, Sean made his presence very very well known. Um, he, Sean was a, a force to be reckoned with and he, yeah, and he would definitely um, insist that you reckon uh, with him. There was no ignoring the, the personality that uh, was before us and, and even before I met Sean I had heard about uh, him through a, a colleague and who was so impressed with this this young guy and and so I remember thinking oh yeah the, the, this this other guy um, you know he, this other professor he is such a um, his thinking his intellect you know his spirit how he how he is in the world I just imagined oh this will be so good for whoever this guy is to connect with this man at, at this level. And, and I just, just left it really at that. Having no idea really what God would have in store for us the, and to have several classes with Sean um, and to get to know him a bit. And then, and then the, the spirit would, would move upon all of our hearts to um, you know, make, make room for holiness, make room for the Holy One, make space for me, uh, take the time. Take it, make the time, find the space, a holy space, create it, build it, be building. And so in that context, one thing led to another and uh, we found ourselves in a situation where we, uh, we were just talking about forming a group of no fanfare, no, no other agenda except to make a space where we can hear God's voice, where we can hear him speaking uh, and not just ourselves or an echo chamber. And so um, we sat there, and I know Sean will remember, but as we were sitting there, we, uh, we called a, a friend. 
and um, said, hey, would you like to join us in a, in a discipleship group, in a group that wants to follow Jesus together? And I remember the words of this young man. He said, um, and he was as serious as they come, but he said, you know, I have just risen from prayer asking God to form some group that I could join. And just in the moments as we were talking, he was, he was somewhere praying. So we created that space. And I cannot tell you, I can't tell you what a sheer joy and challenge it was for me to watch all these men, but particularly Sean, come alive come alive in Christ um, the, the, the firm grounding the, the countenance the, the, the love that was being poured out in, in, his, in his heart and in his soul it was sheer it was sheer pleasure and just to observe it and just to keep praying don't mess this up this guy don't mess it up don't mess it up the and I was thinking oh, why didn't why isn't he with this other guy why is it, why isn't he a seasoned guy oh is it, but God had had brought us together and then and then to have a front row seat um at him falling in love with Becca so I got to see that and I feel it's, it's so precious. I don't even know if I can, you know, even share it or should share it. But um, everybody's been on me so much about tell me, tell, tell us more, tell us more. And all I can say, all I can say is that um, the, the beautiful way this Becca moved onto the scene and everything that we're working so hard to gain in Christ, she already had in spades. She already, she already had that. That, just that, that poise, that, that, assure, that assurance, that knowing, this, that spirit of Christ uh, in, in her. And to watch, watch these two, but particularly watch, watch Sean uh, just come alive in love it was so, so awesome. Yes, I hated him for it. I was a single man. But nevertheless, it was, now that I reflect on it, it was one of the most beautiful things that you could, that you could ever see. And in, in this precious space, in, in these, these places, Sean was like, he was like all of us. Um, Sean's internal programming um, and its multiple systems had come from a variety of sources. And, and it just think of NASA. Think of, think of all of the systems that have to come together to launch a, a rocket. Think of all of the hardware. Think of all of the, the fuel. Think of all of that programming. Um, the, all that was needed was for all of those systems to not be tinkered with, not, but just those systems to be integrated. And that's what we saw holiness was. 
It was just this total integration of all of these systems that were beginning to fire up, beginning to fire up and, and move. And, and you just, you saw it happen in real time. You could just see the transformation. I can't go on uh, further or I'll, I don't want to embarrass him any more than I already am embarrassing him. And I don't want to lose my composure, you know, any more than I feel like I'm about to lose it. But I, just to see all of the systems of the soul and the spirit and the life in Christ, all of that full system integration. And it was, uh, it was like an Apollo mission. It was, it was a Scribner mission. <laughs> and to watch all of that come together and, you know, for Sean to launch, for him to launch the, um, you know, that's the, it's just a sheer joy to watch the spirit moving in Sean's life. And it was so precious and it was, it was so beautiful and to, to have been a part of the team back at Mission Control to launch that guy. great that was great watch that and just soaring so you got to build this you got to construct holy places you got to make them you've got to make room for holiness and Beyond bebuilding, you've got to befriending. You've got to befriend holy people. And as you know, this is the great um, <laughs> Aldersgate Day for any of us, the children of Methodism in any, any, any stretch of, uh, or, or any color of any variety. It's a very special day for all of us to reflect on all that God has poured into us, all that he's done for us, the people who befriended us when we weren't the best friends, probably, and, and the people that we've befriended. And here, this lady in Nowheresville, in barren times, it's the ninth century it's bad kings and more bad kings and more bad kings. It's not good. It's a seven-year famine. It's a lost child. Why should she expect anything of God? She could have just been cynical and called it a day and called that life, but she didn't. No, she welcomed every kindness of God and she built holy spaces and she befriended holy people.
And that's part of what we do is find the potential. Every person God's working in, once you find them, befriend them. Come alongside them. You don't have to answer everything. You don't have to be, you're not the be all, the end all. But you just, hey, when you come around, when you stop by, Elisha, you're, you're welcome. You're welcome. We want you to know that you're welcome here. We want you in our lives we want, you, we want to give space for you right here in our hearts. We want to befriend you. I don't know whether you're uh, familiar, of course you are, with those Methodist societies um, that John Wesley was a part of. It's interesting what happened among those friends. When you befriend holy people, you'll find that you want to be holier you'll you will find you get around people like that you want to grow and and that's the the beauty of it and that's the beauty of those old methodist societies three guys left some testimonies i'll i'll share with you one old thomas walsh you'll remember he says about meeting together befriending others oh how wonderfully did we experience the power and love of God. We had a heaven amongst us. The Lord poured such peace and joy into our hearts. We were often so happy that we did not know how to part. Oh, these guys, this group. We were of one heart and of one mind in the presence of God and is not this the communion of saints? Duncan Wright says, I had often found Solomon's words fulfilled. Woe to him that is alone when he falleth. For when I fell into perplexities and temptations, I had no one to help me. But now I found the real benefit of having fellowship with the loving people of God. John Pickard's the last. He joined the Society of London. These are real people. He said the first night of meeting the class, I thought it was the greatest emblem of heaven, of any meeting I was ever in. You've been in some of those. Heaven came down. Oh, or to connect with somebody, to befriend somebody and recognize the holiness in them and to give your own heart in response to them in love. He goes on, I was now united to a happy people who walked in the light of God's countenance and counted it all joy at any time to suffer for his name's sake. Oh, make friends with holy people. And you know what you'll find? You'll find, <laughs> you'll find, you'll get in touch 
with that holiness that he has planted deeply in you and that characterizes you. But we so often can't even recognize that. We want to dismiss it. We're not this. We're not that. But you make friends with holy people and you'll see a great transformation. Be building and befriending. You would change your life and it would change someone else's life. Tonight I wanted to leave you with a story. Some years ago I was called upon to minister to a woman recently diagnosed with cancer. The family gathered with her and we all sat around the dining room table discussing the grace and mercies of God and his plan of redemption and salvation. She earnestly desired to be saved and to devote her remaining life to God. God met her that evening and gave her full pardon and release and an abundance of peace. I saw this. Everyone around the table was moved to tears. We knew that we had witnessed something holy and sacred. Throughout the next months, I spoke with her by phone frequently and even visited with her a couple of times. She would sometimes become anxious over her failing body and needed assurance that God had not abandoned her. I learned that she feared being alone more than anything and was curious about what would happen to her immediately upon her release from the body. As we spoke, she shared with me the parts of her life that she was deeply ashamed of. She admitted her failures as a wife and mother, as a daughter and as a sister. As a person, she had abused her body badly, badly and carelessly. She had been jilted in love and life and had become an emotionally jaded, angry, and severe person. After recounting so much of what she had become, she said to me, but that is not me now. And it wasn't. God changed me, she said, and asked that everybody forgive her. And she said, I forgive everyone. She had no self-pity concerning her condition. There was no blaming, no sense of entitlement, no contempt. Whatever had been lost or squandered along the way had been restored, had been recovered. She was whole. I don't know if you will grasp what I'm saying. Before me sat a woman whose body was being ravaged by cancer, who had been restored to a state of soul and spirit through the kindness of the Holy Spirit. Within a couple of weeks, I was called to her bedside, and she was only just there. I began to pray loudly next to her, and as I prayed, a powerful, vivid image of her suddenly burst upon my mind. She was dressed 
as a bride in a wedding gown. And as best as I can describe, was moving effortlessly or being lifted toward Jesus, her groom. I had never experienced such glimpses into things so holy. In truth, I always imagined crossing into heaven like a champion runner crossing the finish line at the end of a race, throwing my hands up in my victory. Instead, we shall be held in his embrace and he will carry us across the threshold. It won't be me breaking the tape, throwing my hands up in victory. The image of her I saw was of her moving toward Christ, the groom, and him moving toward her. And in that explosive, vivid moment burst upon my mind was her being swept up in the arms of her bride, of the bridegroom in a holy, never-ending embrace. And he carries her. He carried her across the threshold. I can't tell you how sanctifying in my own life that was because I imagine me winning a victory, me crossing the line, but through her holy witness, through her willingness to forgive everybody everything, to forgive herself everything, to praise God that that wasn't her now, and to see the Holy One shape her last days and remove the fear of she had of being alone and remove the angst of what will it be like when I'm released and the holy, shaping, loving presence of Jesus sweeping her up at the last, carrying her into eternal joy, eternal glory. It changed me. Her witness changed me and the holiness in her changed me and I was never so glad for the time that I had carved out for the spaces the time for building a holy space around her table and for befriending her what that meant to my own soul. We have to make room for holiness. And I know all week long, you all know this. You all know this. It's just reminder. That's it. It's just reminder of what you already know. And tonight, I thought it would honor the Lord the most 
and I talked with the other pastors, I thought it would honor him the most if we would, if we would all unite at the front of the sanctuary and get it close to the altar as a group, as, as everyone who can, that we can be as close as we can together and that we receive, um, that we look full in his beautiful face and that, we, and that we, we commit to each other to befriend each other and to really create the holy spaces that this world needs and that we all need. So if you wouldn't mind, I would like to invite everyone to come forward tonight at this time and the pastors will, uh, Pastor Sean will pray over us. God bless you all. Thank you for your many kindnesses to us.